Good morning, Spring Branch. Good to see each of you today. If you could turn your Bibles to Genesis 37. Genesis 37, we'll be walking through uh, Genesis 37 through 50 together this morning. The words will be up on the screen also. How many of you have been asked the question, where were you when, dot, 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 right? Where were you when you found out that your daughter or your son were, were gonna be moms and dads? Where were you when you got your first driver's license, when, when you got your first car, when you graduated? Where were you when you, you found out that we were walking on the moon? That's dating some of us. Um, where were you when you found out that there were a couple planes that crashed into a couple buildings? 2001, 9-11. Where were you when? Where were you when? Um, a, a few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to go home to Ohio and I had a chance to visit the church that I grew up in. I remember when I received my first Bible as a third grader, right there in that, in that church. Old Stone Presbyterian Church, Delaware, Ohio, built in the 1800s. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of special memories there. Um, was baptized there, received Jesus into my heart there, did a few lock-ins there with the youth group, caused all kinds of trouble. Um, great times there at Old Stone Presbyterian Church. In 1989, it was August, I remember waking up, my mom said, Heath, we're going to go for a little ride. And so the whole family got into the car, and the church was about five minutes away. We kind of cruised around the bend, the church is kind of up on the hill, and all of a sudden I see smoke. And this is what we see. There was a man named Johnny who was raging against God. He was angry towards God. He'd had some, uh, some mental, uh, spiritual, physical things going on in his life. And it just boiled over to the point where he and his friend went out that night and burnt down three churches in the area. Ours, as you can see, was one of them. And I remember just gathering around with the church family with mixed emotions, if you can imagine. Um, anger, sadness, uh, bitterness, um, just shock, right? Shock and awe at what was happening before our very eyes. Um, smoke, flames, ashes, all of our memories, everything is just burning up right there before our very eyes. I remember that day like it was yesterday. Um, and there's one word that kind of sticks out as I remember that experience, and it's it's being wounded. It's being wounded. Our, our church was wounded. As individuals, we felt wounded. We felt hurt emotionally. Uh, how many of us have, have, have had something uh, happen to us? Maybe someone said something to us at some point, maybe a long time ago or maybe recently, and it was like you just got punched in the face. Uh, you, you, you got wounded. Take a look at this picture Maybe some of us can relate to that guy. You may not be able to see it, but some of us are walking around with Band-Aids on our foreheads, black eyes, because of a circumstance or because of one word that was spoken to us at some point, maybe uh, by a family member, maybe by a friend or maybe by a neighbor, maybe by a coworker, and you've been carrying around this wound. We've all been wounded. We all have a little bit of a limp. And if we're not careful, we can carry this grudge, whatever it is, all the way to the grave. 
We had this burden, this weight, this hatred, this animosity that James talked about earlier. And it, 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 it hinders our potential. And it, it starts affecting the way that we relate to each other. It affects the way we view the world, the way we live our lives, that wound. So the question is, what do you do with your wound? What do you do with it? What do you do with that thing you've been holding on to? You know, I'm, I'm guilty of suppressing my feelings, you know, sweeping them under the rug and pretending like they're not there, right? And then I'll hear a song, maybe you can relate to this, I'll hear a song or watch a movie or I'll, I'll visit a certain place and then all those feelings kind of boil to the surface again and it kind of rears its ugly head, that wound, and it's worse than ever. You thought that you dealt with it, you thought that you had healed from it, but you're just determined to not let that thing or that word ruin your life. What that person did to you, ruin your life. But there's something about it that just, it's just there. So what do you do with it? Well, sometimes, sometimes we hand our wound to other people. What do I mean by that? We hand our wound to other people. You know, the recipients of our wound are our parents, our sisters, our brothers, our friends, our coworkers. And when we hand our wound to other people, it's a form of revenge. You know, we, we have irrational anger sometimes, uh, bitter sometimes, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're critical, maybe we, we don't trust other people because of what happened before, because of that wound. Are you with me? So we hand our wound to other people. An untreated emotional wound affects our relationships, affects our marriages, affects how we move around each day and relate to other people. What if God wanted to take our wound and heal it? What if we allowed him to do that? What if our potential as human beings could be unleashed and unlocked if we just hand our wound, not to other people, but hand our wound to a God who can shoulder it, a God who is strong and mighty? So today we're going to be talking about a story found in the scriptures, a story about a young man named Joseph, one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. You know, in fact, the whole Bible involves people who were wounded. It started in the very beginning. Adam and Eve were there in the garden, and they turned their back on God. They ate of the forbidden fruit. And by the way, it happened, and it happens still today, doesn't it? And so that relationship that was perfect was broken. It was wounded. But God pursued them in the garden just like God pursues us not to pay us back, but to win us back, right? And so wounded people throughout the scriptures, God selected Abraham to be father of many nations. Abraham was wounded. Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob, and Jacob had a son named, are you with me? Joseph. All these men had two things in common. God was with them. God, God healed them of their wounds, but they had a choice to live out their wound in revenge or to respond in forgiveness. Those are the two responses that we're gonna talk about this morning, wounded, for, wounded revenge or wounded forgiveness. And Joseph's story is a great example of both of those choices and what can happen, all right? So journey with me to Genesis 37, that's where we're going to pick it up. Verse 2, Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. 
He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. How about those names? And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father, a bad report of their brothers. Now Jacob loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a robe of many colors. Check out this robe. You've heard this story, Joseph's technicolor dream coat. Why was Jacob so fond of Joseph? You know, he had uh, 12 sons, Jacob did. Why was he... Why was he showing such favoritism towards Joseph? Well, for the longest time, if you remember, Jacob and Rachel, they they couldn't have kids of their own. Rachel was barren. And so Jacob and Rachel requested God to do something, and God blessed them with kids through Rachel's sister Leah and through the handmaidens, okay? So all, all, all of the boys in the family were from Leah and the handmaidens, like with the exception of Joseph and Benjamin. So Joseph reminded Jacob of his beloved Rachel. And so Joseph, so Joseph had this, this dream coat, this robe of many colors, and it just represented how, represented how Jacob felt about him compared to his other sons. This robe was expensive, long sleeves, long legs, made of wool and silk. Um, It was made of wool, likely from the sheep that the brothers worked so hard to tend every day out in the hot sun. Uh, It actually, it probably ate into their inheritance too, it was so expensive. And I'm sure that Joseph wore this thing every day. I mean, wouldn't you? Look at that. I'm sure he wore it every day, and I, and I can assume that at some point, Jacob said, you know what, don't, don't wear this out in the fields, it's too nice. And so I'm picturing Joseph back at the ranch with Jacob just chilling, just hanging out, while all the brothers are out in the, in the hot, hot, blazing sun working hard. And so here's Joseph as the manager, more or less, of the household. And you can see why the brothers hated him, right? They were wounded. His brothers were wounded emotionally. And so how did they, how did they respond to this wound? Verse 4, but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. The word hate here in Hebrew is is this separation kind of a hate. I hate you, I loathe you so much, I'm just gonna do whatever I can to separate myself from you to the point of disownership. So they're pretty much saying, I'm not even gonna claim you as a brother. I mean, you think about your dynamics and your family, you think it's bad, check this out, right? But when his brother saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream. What was the dream about? He dreamed He dreamed that that someday his brothers were going to bow down before him. He was going to rule over his brothers, and the brothers were going to beg for food. Okay? So stay tuned. More story to come. He had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him. Wouldn't you? They hated him even more. They hated him even more for his dreams and for his words, and his brothers were jealous of him. I mean, talk about animosity. Talk about division. Talk about hatred here. And the brothers, 
were boiling over with a feeling of revenge. They were going to hand their wound to Joseph in some way. This is what happened. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. Let's stop right there for a second. Isn't that odd? (laughs) They just beat their brother. In fact, Reuben talked them down. They wanted to just kill him and throw him into a pit, but Reuben's like, wait, 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 wait. He's our kin. He's our blood. Let's not kill him. Let's just strip him of his robe. Let's just throw him into the pit and just kind of see what happens. So they did all that, and then they were like, hey, I'm hungry. Are you hungry? Let's go eat some food and celebrate. Crazy, isn't it? They sat down to eat. And then when the Midianite merchants came by later, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. And the the story goes, they ended up soaking his coat in some goat's blood, and they presented it to Jacob and played it off like Joseph was attacked by wild animals. And Jacob, of course, bought it and and just mourned for days the loss of his son, Joseph. I mean, these guys were doing whatever they could do to take their revenge out on their brother Joseph, sold him as a slave to Egypt. He was dispensable to them. Sometimes revenge is just passive. Maybe we don't throw somebody into a pit, right? But maybe we throw them into a pit in our minds. <laughs> revenge can be just passive. Something happens to you or somebody says something to you and you kind of think bad thoughts about them. You might gossip about them behind their back. Uh, you may cold shoulder them, give them the silent treatment. Uh, I'm not a bug, give my wife the silent treatment. Um, sometimes something happens between us on any given day and uh, I say probably too much to her or I'm sarcastic in a way that's kind of hurting towards her and, and uh, she'll, uh, she'll be offended and, and uh, vice versa, it will happen. I mean, marriage is hard. No, but at some point, we stop giving each other the cold shoulder and the silent treatment and we come back together. Don't let the sun go down your anger come back together and we figure it out. Passive revenge. We kind of let things go. It kind of, it starts to get under our skin. Uh, a few weeks ago, um, Rhett and I were out cruising on the highway. We we're running, running an errand somewhere. And all of a sudden, this guy cuts right in front of us. And I had to slam on the brakes. And I, I turned to Rhett. I'm like, what in the world? Did you see that guy? He's like, yeah, yeah. What's up with that guy? And uh, I said to him, it's probably not good parenting, I said to him, man, I hope he gets a ticket, you know? I hope he gets, hope he gets the law laid down on him hard. No kidding. In the next couple minutes, a couple miles on the road, we see him on the side of the road. The cop pulled him over. He's getting a ticket, all right? Candid moments. I know I'm, I'm one of your pastors, but I did celebrate. I said, that'll, that'll teach you, you know, that'll teach you, right? That's what you think, right? You think, ah, justice is served, revenge, yeah, woo. That's passive revenge. I didn't run on the window and like, hey, you're, yeah, look at you, ha, ha, that's what you get for cutting me off. Um, so it wasn't that bad, but uh, passive revenge. But sometimes passive revenge escalates to active revenge. How many of you are, uh, grew up in the world of Atari, Maybe you have no idea what that is. It's like Xbox. Look at this. AJ's in the back having a great time. You're pretty good at that. 
So look at that, back and forth, right? Somebody says something to you, you say something to them, somebody does something to you, it's back and forth, back and forth, boom, bang, back and forth. Okay, that's good. Technology's come a long way, a few years. Relational Pong, right? That's an old school game called Pong and Atari. It's, it's relational Pong, we play that every day in our relationships. I'm gonna say this to you, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, boom, bang, boom, bang, back and forth, we're guilty of active revenge. But it never satisfies, does it? I mean, how many of us, after getting back at somebody, they get back to you, you, you get back at them, and you just, you just feel good about it, feel good about yourself? It never happens, it's cyclical. It just, it's around and around and around, just, it never really satisfies. Revenge doesn't work, it doesn't, it doesn't work. When I was a counselor at a camp out in Colorado, there was one day where we had probably too much time on our hands. It was in between campers coming. My friend Nate and I were walking along the, uh, the lake there and we spotted this dead, rotting fish. And so what do you do with a dead, rotting fish? You, you pick it up and you walk it to the girl's shower house. Um, we, we were gentlemen. We, we, we knocked on the door. Nobody was there. We walked right in and uh, found a strategic spot up in the rafters, put that sucker right up there. And, uh, and, just, and just listened. Over the last, next couple of days, we just listened to the murmuring and the lunch lines. And sure enough, I mean, it, it started to get pretty bad in there. And so, um, you know, Nate and I started to feel a little, a little conviction in our hearts. And so we, we gathered the girls around and we said, yes, uh, we are the culprit of that stink, that odor in your shower house. We apologized. They accepted, um, they accepted the apology, forgave us. But that was just the beginning of the summer. Okay, there was a lot of summer left, uh, so it was definitely a back and forth, back and forth thing all summer. But I can tell you that it, it just, it just, it didn't end, and it, it just wasn't satisfying. It wasn't satisfying. And I think sometimes you, you know you marry into the family, and you need a flow chart for all the different dynamics. Oh, this is why this is this this is the way it is. Oh, this is why this is the way it is. Somebody said this to somebody in the family, and this is why there's a weird dynamic, right? We need a flow chart sometimes to see uh, what's happened. It's always spiritual. Most importantly, most importantly, we need to let God do his job, right? God's pretty good at what he does. In fact, Romans 12 says, Paul says, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Let God do his job. When we seek revenge, passive or actively or aggressively, whatever that looks like in our lives, whether at home, in our neighborhood, or at work, wherever, when we seek revenge, we're handing our wound to somebody, and we're taking control. We're taking matters in our own hands, and we're saying, God, I can do your job better than you can do your job. How does that sound? The God of the universe is one who is just. Scriptures say that his, his eyes uh, scope the whole earth. He sees the whole earth and he sees the good and he sees the evil and he says, I am control. I'm in control. Let him and trust him to do justice. Let's, let's trust his timetable. Let's trust the process. Trust that he can see everything. He says, vengeance is mine. It's always spiritual. So, what happens the rest of the story? I love the story. So Joseph is sold into slavery. He's sold into slavery to Egypt. 
and he finds himself in prison, wrongly accused of, of adultery. Um, but he, he begins interpreting dreams for the powers that be there in Egypt. And it says that he grew in wisdom, he grew in stature, he was prosperous and successful. Everything he touched turned to gold. Why? And it says seven times over and over again in the next few chapters that God was with him. God was with him. Why was God giving him favor? Why was God providing for him in such a way? Because Joseph had a decision. Hand his wound to people in his path or absorb that wound and choose forgiveness. Choose to be better, not bitter. He didn't harbor hatred. He didn't harbor resentment. He wasn't angry towards God. He was faithful, lived a life of integrity, a life of, above reproach, and did the next right thing. And all of a sudden, he found himself as the right-hand man of the Pharaoh, the most powerful person at that time in Egypt. And Pharaoh trusted Joseph with his life. In fact, Joseph interpreted one of the dreams, and he said, Pharaoh, 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 there's a drought coming. We need to save some food, put it in the storehouses, because there's a big famine coming. Sure enough, a few years later, the famine came, the drought came, but they were prepared because Joseph listened to God, and God had given him favor. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came. So all around this land, people were coming to Egypt to buy food because where they're from, there's no food. And so here's Joseph's brothers coming to Egypt to get food. The famine in the land was, uh, famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Sound familiar? Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. They didn't recognize him. He recognized them. I mean, how many of us have had maybe some murderous thoughts towards other people, if we really are honest, and we've thought, if I could just get my hands on that person, right? If I could just say this to that person, if I could just have them in my grasp, in my fingertips, if I could just, ah. Joseph has his brothers right there, and they're bowing before him, asking for food. He has a choice. He has a choice to make. I think his choice had already been made. The decision had already been made because of the way he was living his life prior to that moment. So they bowed their heads down before him. He said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And Joseph, being the most, one of the most powerful men in the world, leveraged his power, leveraged his authority, leveraged his strength. He called upon some other Egyptian soldiers. They took their swords, and one by one, without the brothers looking, they chopped off all their heads. Nope, that's not what happened. Some of you were listening. He did not do that. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, don't be afraid. Don't be distressed. Don't be angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. See, God, we have dreams, but God has bigger dreams than we do. He has bigger plans, bigger purposes than we do. 
We just need to trust him. Can you imagine this scene? One of the most powerful scenes in all of scripture, friends. Just imagine this. The very men who wounded Joseph, who left him for dead, who beat him and bound him and threw him in a pit, who sold him as a slave, those very men are right here in his presence, at his fingertips. But he says, don't, 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 don't worry, don't worry. I'm Joseph, your brother. You know that guy, that younger brother, annoying, annoying younger brother you threw into the pit? Don't worry, don't be distressed. Have you ever been in that moment where you've seen somebody, maybe you wounded them somehow or there was some kind of dispute and maybe they were wrong to some degree or you were wrong to some degree and you cross paths. But have you ever experienced grace from that person, grace from your wife, your husband, from your coworker, your boss, a neighbor? They had reason to fight back, but they chose grace and forgiveness instead. Have you ever experienced that? That's pretty special, isn't it? When you're not shamed, when you're not condemned, when you're not kicked to the curb, but you're accepted, you're forgiven, and they show grace to you. Pretty powerful, isn't it? That's what happens here. He fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. Imagine this scene. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him because they had a lot of catching up to do, I'm sure. Wow. I mean, just, just the emotional moment that must have been. Oh, man, oh, man, it's so good to see you. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry, too. Oh, oh. He's grown men. I love it. You see, wounded in forgiveness is not condoning. I know sometimes that's, that's a thing that I think about. When we forgive people, does it mean we're condoning what they did? Joseph wasn't condoning what they did. What they did was evil. Condoning isn't saying uh, what you did, uh, you know, you're still saying it was a big deal. You're still saying it was a big deal, but you're looking past the past. You're saying, let's move forward. I'm not going to hold it against you. Forgiveness is not condoning. It's not forgetting. Sometimes I feel bad. I, I, I'm like, God, uh, have, I, have I really forgiven this person? Because I can still remember details about it. Um, we're humans. We'll remember stuff. It's okay. In fact, it's, it's, it's okay to remember because God wants us to put guardrails up. I mean, you can still forgive somebody and, and, and have a restraining order. By the way, that, that's okay. You know, it's okay to be careful who, who you're spending time with who's healthy to be with, who's not. You can still forgive them in your heart between you and God and maybe express that to that person, but you don't have to be best friends with them. Forgiveness doesn't require reconciliation. Sometimes it does. Uh, a number of years ago when I was starting off in youth ministry, I was trying to figure it out. and um, I kind of had a philosophy that how I was doing things, and I would get parents' input and how, how I could improve the youth ministry and thought things were going pretty well. There was one mom in particular um, who used one word to describe me. We had butted head a couple times, and I apologized to her, but at some point, she described me as unsalvageable. I know, right? Oh, one of the worst things you could ever say to somebody. I thought, unsalvageable. Wow. Yeah, it hurt me. I was wounded. 
I was wounded. And I was, as I was preparing this message these last, these last couple of weeks, that word kind of surfaced up again. And I realized that my, my wound was untreated. I hadn't, I hadn't totally given that to God. And so maybe, Michael, you hold me accountable or somebody can hold me accountable in the next few weeks to, to really give that wound to God. And to maybe even call this individual and say, you know what, I, I forgive you. I know it's years and years and years ago, but I forgive you. You see, it's, it's not a feeling. Forgiveness is not a feeling. You don't feel like forgiving people because rationally, reasonably, in our heads, it doesn't make sense. It's unnatural, but it has to be a, a conscious human decision to forgive somebody. And it's always a process. Baby steps. Maybe not thinking murderous thoughts towards somebody is a good first step, right? Baby steps. It's a process. It's a journey, and oftentimes time heals. It's okay to feel the way you feel about something or someone. I want to validate that. It's okay to be there, but it's not okay to stay there because the grudges and the hatred, the animosity that we carry around that can prevent us and hinder us from being all that God wants us to be. Tim Keller says this, he says, you can forgive, refusing to make them pay for what they did. Refraining to lash out at someone is agony. Taking the cost of it on myself instead of taking it out on another person is a form of suffering and death. It seems like the manly, you know, tough thing to do is to hand that wound back to that person, make them feel the weight of what they did to you. But maybe weak is the new strong, right? Maybe, maybe strength is actually absorbing that wound and choosing not to react and choosing just to keep that between you and God and give that wound to God instead. It's hard, isn't it? It's a form of agony, as Tim Keller says. It's a form of suffering in and of itself, and guess what? That's what Jesus did for us. He took all of our wounds, all of our guilt, all of our shame, everything that we have said, will say, have done, will do. He took that all upon himself. He said, put it on me. I can shoulder it. And it was agony. It was suffering. He is the greater Joseph. He is the ultimate forgiving prince. 1 Peter 2.23 says, when they hurled their insults at him, this sounds a lot like Joseph, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus did that. Isaiah 53.5, he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his... Wounds, we are healed by his wounds. We are healed. His wounds were our wounds. He put all that upon himself, our transgressions, our iniquities, our sins, our shortcomings, everything he took upon himself. And he said, I'm going to put myself on the hook to take you off the hook. By the way, forgiveness is setting someone free and realizing that that someone is you. And God set us free to live free, live free from that wound. And he says, each and every one of us, hand it to me. What is your wound? Hand it to me, says God. And that's what I want to challenge you to do today. What is your wound? What is that, that weight, that burden, that thing, or that word you've been carrying around? 
all those years. Give it to God before you leave today. Give it to God. He can heal you. He can set you free. You know, it was seven years that Johnny Monday was in prison. And during those seven years, we, as a church family, we kind of floated around and we had church in different spaces during those years. During prison, Johnny Monday had an encounter with Jesus. And he accepted the forgiveness of Jesus. He was set free from his shame and his guilt and his wound. He was also set free from prison. And what did he do with his freedom? He showed up one day in 1997 when I was 18 years old. He showed up and he stood up in front of the whole congregation. And you know what he said? He said, hi, I'm Johnny Monday. I'm the guy who burnt down your church. Will you forgive me? God has forgiven me. I plead, I beg for your forgiveness. Will you forgive me? My mom and my dad, a number of others after the service walked over to him. There was some reluctance, some hesitation, a little bit of surprise amongst our congregation, but one by one, people started filing over to Johnny and giving him a hug. And right there with my parents, I gave Johnny a hug, and we said, I forgive you, forgive you. Who is it that you need to forgive? Who is it that you need to, you need to walk towards this week? Who is it you need to pursue this week? Stop handing your wounds to other people. Hand your wound to God. And who is that one person this week who you need to forgive? I will forgive you fill in the blank. Just as Christ. There's no formula here, Spring Branch. There's no check. There's no step-by-step thing with forgiveness. It's really just knowing how much the God of the universe has forgiven you and forgiven me. Oh, God, I can't help but extend that same grace and forgiveness to other people. Just as Christ has forgiven you, may you forgive others. Please stand with me and receive benediction. I want you to extend your hands and just imagine, imagine just handing your wounds to God. Lay your wounds at the feet of God. And pray with me. God, thank you. Thank you that you loved us so much that you took all of our wounds once and for all on the cross. You are the ultimate forgiving prince. God, thank you that we have a choice each day. May we choose forgiveness. May we choose grace. Thank you for who you are, for how much you love us. Jesus, bless this day, this week, as we follow you. And all God's people said, amen, amen.